Hello friends, I'm Amanda Barr and I'm Rebecca Lou Brennan and welcome to Dance Principles United, the podcast. Together, we are passionate about helping studio owners with the business of running their studio. Join us as we talk everything from marketing systems, studio culture, motherhood, life and everything in between. This is the Dance Principles United podcast. Good morning, Dance Principles United podcast land. I hope you are all extremely well today, whatever day you're listening to this. Um, it is obviously Nathan here. Um, I am joined not by Amanda or Beck today, by, I think it's our first international guest, um, the incredible Austin Robertson. Yeah, I know, right? How good's that? So Austin is, for those of you that don't know him, um, some of our, I know a lot of our listeners are Ready, Set, Dance um, studios that would have heard Austin talk at the Ready, Set, Dance conference in Sydney recently. But Austin is a former professional dancer, and he is now the co-founder and CEO of Class Kid, which is a really, really exciting new piece of software for dance studios and other kids' activity centers as well. Um, personally, I believe it's what so many have been looking for um, for a long time, an all-in-one class marketing and class management software solution. Um, on top of that, he's also the creator of Fill My Class Formula, which is a proven marketing system to help you fill your classes and keep them filled. He's a world-renowned international speaker, and I'm sure he would say most importantly, husband and dog dad to Bo and Lou. How are you going, Austin? Welcome to the DPU podcast. Hey, thanks. Does this mean I'm officially down under or I guess we're broadcasting? Yeah, well, virtually, virtually. Virtually. Okay. Well, I was just in Australia a few weeks ago, so it was cool to connect with a lot of the listeners there. Um, yeah, yeah, going great. You know, we, we just launched in June, so I know we were talking before you hit record. Super exciting time for me personally and professionally and yeah, just super grateful to be here. So thanks for the invite. Amazing. Um, where we like to start with a lot of our guests that we have on, being the Dance Principles United podcast, um, is obviously about your, I guess, journey in dance, Austin, sort of taking us back to, mm-hmm. you know, almost like your first dance class and your journey through dance from there. <laughs> I can actually take you all the way back, Nathan, to my first dance class because I was begged by the studio to be Danny in a little kid's rendition <laughs> of Grease. Nice. And I was I was somehow convinced I was the perfect fit. And so I took the role and uh, fell in love with it, honestly, and just stayed in dance uh, until from the time I was nine to the time I was um, 18. Danced professionally right out of col- uh, high school instead of going to college. Then I went to college, um, and that's when I actually had to end up having a, a back operation and really started for the first time to feel my passion changing. And so it's cool to be running Class Kid today because I get the opportunity to serve an industry that for my entire life, frankly, has served me. Um, in between there, you know, went to school, went to college, um, uh, worked in various roles in different studios, teaching, directing, consulting, marketing. Um, prior to Class Kid, even built my a marketing agency that was specifically helping dance studios fill their classes and keep them filled, which is kind of where the idea of the fill my classes formula comes from. So that's the short version. I don't care how, <laughs> I don't know how much you want to know that that's, that that's eight years of my life, but that's the short version. Amazing. So yeah. So like the, I guess, like you were saying that the catalyst for you um, starting to work behind the scenes with, with their studio owners and their sort of tech software and marketing needs was, mm-hmm. was that injury that you're sort of closing, had to close that, yep. that chapter on your performance career and then move into and find what, what your next passion was and you ended up falling into that. Is that right? 
Yeah, that is right. I mean, certainly it was not easy. I'm sure that if you've danced professionally or you dance or teach, I mean, you can imagine what it's like when you, I go in for a minor and I'm, I'm holding my fingers up, making air quotations, like go in for a minor back operation. And I wake up and the doctor's like, Ooh, we thought, you know, a little bit worse than we thought. Um, yeah, so it was a hard transition. Honestly, it wasn't my favorite part of life, but um, a blessing in disguise for sure. Exactly, exactly. Um, and look, what what I think, um, what I think is going to, um, I guess, be or contribute greatly to the success of Class Kid, and, and what I'm really interested in is within our studio, at least. Amanda and I always talk about it that I am. Um, my background's mathematics and finance, like a lot of our listeners know. So I'm very much the left brain logical side of things. Um, and I had to, um, when I first came to work in the business full time, and as I work now with dance studio owners and stuff like that, I often have to find myself um, making sure that I take my left brain logical side of things um, and put it in ways that our incredible creatives and more right brain thinkers um, start like will understand and be able to work with do you think that yourself as a performer and you're obviously one of those very rare people that's got both sides of the brain working very well together do you think your background as a as a dancer and as somebody in that creative sphere um helped you when you were sort of starting to map out this software that's a great question. I've never been asked that, but I love the question. I would argue with you a little bit, though. I'm kind. I, I always use this analogy of the string and the kite. I'm probably the kite. <laughs> like my executive assistant is sitting here right next to me, and she's pro- she's laughing, thinking, "Yeah, he's the kite, and I'm the string. I'm the I'm the one that reels him back from all of his fantastic <laughs> ideas. Um, <laughs> some of those ideas are great. Some some not so much. But I think the frequency of um, just growing up, I guess, in a, in a creative environment has taught me many things. And one of those is to try new things and to treat almost everything I do as an experiment, as a, as a rehearsal, um, and to work diligently towards an end goal. So certainly, um, you know, even creativity itself definitely applies to software for sure. Like today I spent three hours looking through hundreds of different screens in the software to figure out how can how we can refine them to make the user experience better. So like, you know, that definitely like translates from, from dance. Um, but you do kind of, I think as a business owner, you either need the, you need the string in the kite or you do kind of have to learn how to be a little bit of a, of a chameleon or, or take a hybrid approach to, to business development. But like you, Nathan, I surround myself with eight amazing, extremely technical developers who think like you do. So fortunately, I get to leverage my creative strengths day in and day out and not stress too much about it. But I think it's definitely something as a creative entrepreneur that you have to reel in and you really do kind of got to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I guess my next question was, as you obviously work with dance studio owners a lot, um, what would you say is a common roadblock that you see studio owners have as they try to grow and scale your business? Because that was sort of your first passion in, you know, marketing and helping studio owners fill their classes. Yeah, we were, ju- Julie and I, which is my, yeah, we were just talking about this because we're designing a, the Fill My Classes mini course right now, which will be available on classkid.com very soon for, for free. And we were talking about a question that a studio owner proposed to me many years ago, and the studio owner's name was Kathy, and she came to me with a question at one of my events, and she said, Austin, 
why do you think some studios scale rapidly? They seem to get, you know, hundreds of new students and they grow rapidly and everything seems to be working well. And then others kind of barely make it and they struggle to break even and they, and they, and, and frankly, they barely make a profit. And so that was kind of this, this, um, that, uh, that uncovered, I guess, really, really drove me in my early stages trying to uncover the answer to that. And I think that the answer from kind of speaks back to what you were, what you were saying. We, we were making fun of people like me, the creative entrepreneur, and you've really got to simplify and you've got to systemize in order to scale. And I think the, the downfall to being a creative person is that when you have an idea, you build that idea, let's just say a pretty princess uh, fairy camp Facebook ad, right? And it goes super well. And so the thing that you, the creative entrepreneur does and the creative entrepreneurs, the kite, is they say, what other amazing thing can we build? And the string has to say, we're gonna do this thing again and again and again and again until it dries up like a dirt worm after a rainstorm and that's scalability if we were to to paint a picture and so um kind of funny that you led with that question because it really does come down to like the 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 highest performing organizations in my opinion you've got to have like you they, they have the string and they have the kite they have those two people and you've got to have both frankly for uh for scalability to to happen at a um, at, and make any level of impact in the organization. Um, so, so that would be kind of my, my first answer. I think the other part of it is just normal objections that stand in our way. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I'm not tech savvy. Um, I don't know where to start. All these things which are normal, and I think programs like yours are exactly what people need to, to get past that starting point, to believe in themselves maybe just enough to see that they can do it, especially if you're not like me and you didn't grow up around computers. I mean, I look at computers and I used to play Oregon Trail. I don't know if you have Oregon Trail in Australia. I don't know about it, but whether, whether that's just me, but no. It was uh, probably one of the first computer games. So I've, I've been around computers my entire life, but I think you know scalability does require systems. As you guys said in your intro, it does require technology. It does require change. Um, and that's something that I have helped my organization overcome by simply saying, hey, guys, we're going to treat everything as an experiment. And the reality is you can't afford not to scale because growth and scalability are kind of two different things, right? Growth is this mindset of more students all the time. And scalability is more students, more revenue, but less time. So not more students all the time, but more students and less time, meaning more margin to do the things that I love, M more margin to serve the people that I care about, more margin to be home with my kids at night, to cook a meal for them, to take the vacation I deserve, to, to buy that dream car, frankly, that I want. And and it, it, ha it, it does happen kind of on the other side of the objections that we hold. So I think simplifying, systemizing, but also just figuring out wh where do I need to get involved? Is it a group like Dance Principles United? Where do I need to, I need to surround myself with people who have overcome these objections, which are literally holding me back from scaling my business because they are the lies that I believe 
yep. because I tell them myself. I tell them to myself every day. Absolutely, and that's what that's a big part of what what we're starting to work on as well with with our coaches and things like that from from our own personal development standpoint. Amanda Beck and I as well. So I absolutely love that, and I love what you said too about um, you know that that objection that I always hear about you know, not being tech savvy, and I, I try mm-hmm. and I try and. Uh, soften my answer a little bit a lot of the time but like in my head like the, the thought is I understand that you you might not want to be a full stack developer who's going and learning how to code a program I get that but in 2022 you can't run a business whether that's a small business or, or brick and mortar business um, you cannot run a business in 2022 without having some sort of basic technology level so you've got to take that leap and you've got to um, upskill yourself a little bit in in some of the technology that's available and out there yeah I remember when I was actually in Australia and I asked a surfer he we were talking and I said I don't know how to surf we got to talking um, at what is that coffee shop called where they serve the long black I'm sure long black is everywhere in Australia anyways we got to talking and and I'm like hey are, are you afraid of the water and he said, I don't know. I never go out deep enough, really, to have figured that out. Because <laughs> I'm a surfer. I'm not a deep sea fisher. And I thought to myself, isn't that an interesting reply? Yep. Isn't that, I just walked away from that conversation going, are there things that I need to be the deep sea fisher at that I'm just surfing on the shoreline? <laughs> and I think that's what you're saying, right? That was such a great conversation I had with him. And it's all relative too. Like, yeah, that guy would go 30, 40, 50 meters offshore a lot of the time, which a lot of people would consider deep, but his perspective is it's not com- deep for him. Yeah, completely shifted, right? And I loved what you said exactly. about, um, you know, I think sometimes with the incredible creatives that we work with in our industry, in dance studio owners, that sometimes their creativity and their perfectionism around that can be their biggest roadblock. Like you were saying, when you have a campaign, the fa- uh, the fairy the fairy campaign. When, when fairy princess the party, fairy magical princess, unicorn. That's the glitter, one. But whatever when you, you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. When you've got something that's working, it's okay not to recreate. The next time around, it's okay not to recreate something. And just like, it's okay, like obviously we need our creativity and to be always evolving in the dance sphere. But it's okay in the other parts of our business, like the marketing parts and, and whatnot, to keep things going. And if we've got a formula that we know is working, it's okay mm-hmm. to keep sort of, um, I guess, squeezing <laughs> squeezing everything we can out of that um, and making systemizing and making it easier on ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And something, as you were talking, made me think, like dress rehearsals work really well in the dance industry because behind closed doors, with the exception of Parent Observation Week, we're rehearsing these routines and we ultimately get to show them once or twice a year, right? That is a habit, therefore, that we have to break when it comes to marketing because the best thing you can actually do for a Facebook ad or marketing typically is put it out before you think it's ready. Done is better than perfect. And then run all sorts of tests on the landing page, the copy, the image, to try to get more conversions, but it's this, we avoid, we don't want to do it that way because that's not how we do our business. And yes. so I think sometimes um, that's not how we do things in our business, specifically using the example of, of rehearsals. Um, so yeah, I think certainly we can, because we are perfectionists, because we've been taught tuck in your thumbs, you know, don't sickle your foot, all these things, 
were like, well, I'm not going to put that Facebook ad out there till I've spent at least 16 hours on the Canva graphic. <laughs> at least, at least, right? Well, it's, it's, at least 16 at least. hours on the Canva graphic. It's amazing you say that. Um, one of our during our training call on Friday with the Dance Principles United Tribe, one of our amazing members, Jess, um, jumped in and said, because what I always say to them is, you know, f- like you said, sometimes you spend the 16 hours on that graphic, and then you throw that random one at the end. And it's and I say to our tribe members all the time, it's not about what we like, it's about what the market likes. And you sometimes you just mm-hmm. chuck in a random one to see how it goes. And she's like, Oh my god, Nathan, I finally listened to you. I chucked in some random photo at the end that like like went against almost everything I know as a dance teacher. It it looked I thought it looked like basically crap, if I'm honest, um, of two little kids just standing peering in a window and I would have never in a million years put it up six months ago. And it was the one that went absolutely nuts and was getting just ridiculous messaging conversions on there. Um, because, yep. yeah, it's not about what you want. It's about what the market wants. And that makes me think of a, a, a time when I spent like two grand to put together some silly video for my former company that I was at, which I've now exited. And I ran a Facebook ad to show the video. Um, and then I split tested that with like a 10 second stock video that I got from like, I don't know, videostock.com or I don't even know if that's a real website. And that video did better than the $2,000 video. And I was pissed. Yep. I was pissed because I'm like, here's here I am the marketing. Here I am the marketing guy, not taking my own advice. And sure enough, the $10 video does better than the 2000. It's not about, it's not about what you think. And, I talk about that a lot when I speak, and it, it's not about you actually at all. And that's no. one of the big mistakes that people make in marketing. Even if you were, if you were to go to your website right now, if you were to go to your Facebook page right now, I can almost guarantee it's all about you. And so, what I teach is kind of the story brand format and story brand building a story brand by Donald Miller. Great book if you want to flip the script to your customer and really stand out from the crowd, uh, which is required, frankly, to get noticed because everybody's kind of saying the same thing. Yep. Um, and as a, as a side note to this, and I'll come back, see, I'm the kite, Nathan, here we go. <laughs> as a side note, I always tell people, the, the people don't know how amazing your programs and classes are until they buy, because that's when they experience your product. Yep. Up until then, the best marketing wins every single time. And that's why, as silly as it sounds to think about comparing a stock video to a $2,000 video, it, it, it matters. It, it, it really it really does matter. And what Donald Miller talks about in building a story brand is flipping the script and making your customer the center of the story, making yep. them the hero in the story. So instead of join our dance family, uh, the tagline for your studio, it's you belong here, right? Yep. So that. it's not about us. It's about it's about you, you being the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the probably one of the biggest things Mander and Beck talk about all the time is, yeah, and what we find a lot with dance studios in Australia, I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, that people are often marketing to their peers. They're not marketing, mm-hmm. they're not marketing to the parent. That that's that's who we need to be focusing on, right? Well, and they're marketing in a way that like they're marketing to people who think who understand who they think understand the same things they do. Yeah. Right. So I know all this stuff about my business. I know all these things about Classkit. I know every single feature. I know how every single button works. I could get on a call with you and tell you exactly what you need to do. But in the very beginning stages, that is not how I will convince you to buy ClassKid at yep. all by yep. talking about those things. And so sometimes we're talking about policies and how our programs are organized. And 
all these things that parents are like, I just wanted to know if you had classes for three-year-olds. And they have fun. <laughs> and, that they have, and that there's a, an image of smiling kids on your website that don't look like they're bored. Exactly. Happy, happy smiley kids is one of the big things we talk about. It's exactly like you said, like, you know, parents, a, a new preschool parent doesn't know or frankly care about the lines or the pointed foot or the, you know, whether the foot's slightly sickled or things like that. They're, they're looking at all the kids having fun and does it look like an amazing environment? And that, that's, that's, all that, that's all they're really caring about, right? Right. And I talk about in my workshop, my one-day workshop or my two-day conference, they're both called Fill My Classes. Fill My Classes kind of is our whole, is our whole funnel. So Fill My Classes mini course, Fill My Classes conference, Fill My Classes workshop. One thing I, I, I tell people is, you know, there's really just three questions that every parent wants to know. And the big one is simply... Like, do you have classes that are appropriate for my child? So if you were to just go to your website and reorganize it based on the age, yep. um, everybody wants to, everybody tends to, I should say, make the mistake of putting their programs in classes. Like their internal structure is how they market externally. Yep. And if you were to flip the script on that and you were to flip the script and make your customer the hero, like those two things alone would transform your results. I really do believe that. Oh, I can't make any promises. I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> Well, no, that, that's the biggest, one of the biggest um, things we found in our studio probably three or four years ago. One of those, you say three or four, maybe it was five or six because time just sort of all melts into well, one the last few yeah. years, right? But yeah, we yeah. made sure that our time, like we have our preschool timetable just shows the preschool classes. Our kindergarten, our five to six-year-olds only shows those classes. And it made mm-hmm. such a big, big, big change in, I guess, the flow of leads through as well. I mean, getting those, those high quality leads through and being able to filter them through the process a little bit better. Well, we even had somebody email support the other day and they said, I want to add a program filter to my online store because at ClassKid we use an online store model. And I said, okay, no problem. This is me in support, like coaching people. Because we really, we don't, we don't call it support, we call it success because with ClassKid being an all-in-one solution, we really do need to teach you how, like we, when we build features, we build them intentionally, very yep. intentionally. So it's like, okay, these, this is the reason why those filters are default to the store because we know from running focus groups and doing marketing for hundreds of studios that parents prefer to buy things sorted by age first. Yep. I know that you want to tell everybody how amazing your programs are, but honestly, they don't care. I did not say that in the email. I didn't say it like that, but I tried <laughs> to say it like really lovingly, like I, I want you to win. And if I give you what the answer you are, if I just answer the question you're asking me, I'm going to be setting you up for failure, really. So I tried to help. We always try to help people understand just more contextually. Um, you know, why are those three, five filters default to the store versus the others you have to add, add custom? Yeah, amazing. Love that. Um, so something that we're really big on with our clients in the D- Dance Principles United tribe, and I know you are as well, is the importance of a rock solid and airtight inquiry process. Because we, it, it, it pains mm-hmm. us when we see um, incredible studio owners putting great marketing out, but we know that they're not that they're letting leads slip through the cracks. Um, what, as you know, like you said, you've talked to hundreds, if not more, studio owners, and as you've built out Class Kid, you've you've asked lots of questions. I'm sure. What are some key mistakes <laughs> that you're seeing studio owners make that result in them letting leads slip through the cracks and essentially losing a lot of money? Yeah, I think you struggle with one of three problems. Really, if I had to break it down, it's it's either like your marketing is there's no marketing or if there is it's not consistent so you're struggling to attract prospects 
Uh, second problem is you're, you're struggling to convert leads because maybe they go into this other tool and then onto a spreadsheet or you get an email notification when they fill out a form, but you don't know if people got back to them and it's like, who's doing what? And no one really knows. And as a result, employee turnover is high because no one knows what's going on. There's no system or process. And that'd be like converting, converting leads, right? So, yeah. con- um, into customers. And then on the, on the flip side of that, it's expanding revenue too, because just look at the val- like the value of one lead. If you if you think you should if, if you think you can continue ignoring this stuff, um, take the value of one lead in your business. I would argue, if you're losing one lead, you're leaving maybe AUD seven hundred. Yep, at easily, least yeah for the right? year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you're leaving that now. Amplify that times ten lost leads. Could you look back? Could you look at your process and your system, and right now and honestly evaluate it and say. Yeah, I think we're probably losing, you know, five to five to ten leads. That, so now we've uh, seven thousand dollars. Let's just say seven thousand AUD. Yep. And and the on the flip side of that, if you do a good job of setting, well, not really on the flip side, but related <laughs> to that, if you do a good job of setting expectations in your marketing in that attract prospects phase, then you can win in the last phase, which is expanding the revenue. So attract prospects, convert leads, expand revenue, right? So one offer that's working really well right now for people using ClassKit is more of a trial class pass instead of the traditional drop-in trial. Because what does a traditional drop-in trial do? Free or not, by the way, it coaches the client to buy one class. Drop into this class, buy the class. A seven-day class pass you might set up in ClassKid where they can try all the classes in the program that are age-appropriate for seven days um, up to three total, for example. Yep. Or just all the classes unlimited for, for seven days only, right? They can book themselves into Tiny Tappers, Tiny Ballet, Tiny Tiptoes. <laughs> t- <laughs> how, tiny many more tiny, how many tiny's have you got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> however many you have but you set up the promo you let them try them all for seven days now what have I done well because I strategically thought about my marketing in the earlier phases of the customer journey and I made sure I wasn't losing leads now that customer is set up to buy two or three classes instead of one yep. and that's why you know even if you're like well my marketing is great but your system is bad or your system is good but you're not expending the revenue you know, there's work to be done in one of these pillars, yeah. If you will, no, for sure. And and I love, I love that you think about exactly the same as us. We always think about like, by not having a good system, how much money are you leaving on the table? And that that's often what we try to go to to help people overcome a price objection to a new piece of software or something like that. You know, it's that mm-hmm. how how could you afford to? It's like, well, how can you afford not to? You know, if by not by having this piece of software if you're saving what seven thousand dollars almost per month a lot of the time right like how can you afford not to have it and then in terms of you know just from that's from the lost students perspective as well and we know by having the right system and effective system in place it also cuts cuts down on your staff costs as well you could be saving Mm -hmm. two to three hours a week and a lot of people often just don't do the simple multiplication out of what's saving two to three hours of admin time per year actually saves you as a final dollar amount at the end of the year. Yeah, and you you make me think of my client, Amy, who literally was extremely successful with one Facebook ad, one system, just one of everything. Yep. And when you when, when you talk to her, she just she she talks about the simplicity behind it. And she kind of says the same thing you do. Like they used my retrospective to figure out that 
it was costing them more money to order, track, and deliver costumes manually than they made from oh selling a costume yeah. <laughs> because of the lack of technology. Yep. And so especially for those out there that are more hesitant to adopt a new tool, I think you can look at it from, you know, what is the money I'm saving, of course, by not losing leads, but also like the, the stress, honestly, like how much less stressful would my life be? Have I ever put a cost on that if I didn't have so much stress around my costume yeah. tracking process, for yeah. example? Um, so yeah, I think I think that this, what we're talking about lives in every area of the business. It's not just marketing. That's what you and I geek out about. We could probably talk, <laughs> do a three-hour podcast. But this stuff lives, this idea of scalability, this idea of systems, this idea of giving yourself more margin. You could almost use this ideology, this way to think about business scalability in every every area of your business. Yep. You got to spend money to make money, right? Yeah, as yeah. that as well. <laughs> Amazing. So like yeah, we've, we've talked lots about lots of different sort of, I guess, objectives that, that dance studio owners have and some issues that dance studio owners have um, as they go through running and systemizing and organizing their business. But as you know, we mentioned at the start and you keep talking about, you've just launched this amazing piece of software, ClassKit. Um, how do you feel? Obviously, I'm sure you feel it does it in lots of ways, but like, how do you feel <laughs> ClassKit best helped to solve a lot of these issues we sort of talked about for dance studio owners? ClassKit is the, is the best software by it now. No, <laughs> and we're done. All right. <laughs> yeah. Wrap it up, Nathan. Wrap it up. That's all I got. I think the the big the, – there are, there are two types of people that ClassKit can help. The first it, and probably the one it can help the fastest is someone who is doing all this stuff across a bunch of different tools because it's probably going to be a little harder for me to convince someone who's not focused on marketing, doesn't care about their sales pipeline – and doesn't think they're losing students to gaps in their systems to use ClassKid because it's an end-to-end -end product and it's the only yep. one in the industry. Yep. So, but from so let's just use you know a general lead to trial to enrollment. So somebody fills out a form on your website, you put them on a pipeline. When they book a trial, you move them to the booked trial stage. Uh, after the trial, you trigger the automated drip campaign to follow up. They enroll. You remove them from the drip campaign and you trigger the welcome sequence or what some would call the onboarding. Uh, after their first class, you check in and say, hey, how did the first class go this week? Um, yep. Every attendance, every makeup, every private lesson, every touch point or interaction in this customer journey is the end goal with ClassKid. And by the end of this year, um, we're, you know, we're looking to launch our, our official launch in Australia market starts in October. And by the end of this year, we'll have that full customer journey developed. And so one thing we're doing right now, if you believe in the vision, is we're building that pilot program for the Australia market to learn what you guys need. Um, that might be a little bit different than the States. For example, one thing I learned while I was there is um, about zero, which <laughs> we are, we're big QuickBooks fans here. And yeah, those damn New so Zealanders, got, they got zero out there and all the Aussies love it. And, and, um, Rivalries of different Australian regions aside, because I did experience <laughs> rugby at its finest yeah, there yeah. Uh, while I was there. Um, all, you know, all that aside, I think everybody, it, everybody in the industry seems to be ready for something new that's modern, that looks pretty, that's up to date. And 
you know, as a, as a former instructor and, and front desker, somebody that worked at the front desk and even directed a, an adult studio at one point, I, prior to building my marketing agency for dance studios, we used Jackrabbit. And I think Jackrabbit is a great tool. I really yep. do. But it has a lot of powerful and robust features. But it's time to take the powerful robustness of these amazing platforms and make it look really amazing. Because what the, what the next generation of buyers cares about is um, is that user experience. That, that would be kind of the, the all-encompassing word. Like, I don't necessarily want to have to wait on you to email me back to know that I can lock in my kid's trial on Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. And then um, you, yeah, UI UX is, is what software is all about at the moment, right? You, it's funny you mentioned Zero, which is, you know, an accounting package. And as soon as we say accounting, everybody automatically sort of glazes over a bit and thinks boring. But what got me, because I'm a, a big Zero fan as well, um, what got me into that from all the other accounting things I was looking at was it looked pretty. Like, and I'm not even that creative type mm-hmm. of person. Um, the user experience was nice. And that's where, like yep. you're talking about, a lot of um, dance studio softwares, and I've tested a lot of them, they are built by that left brain, um, mathematical, logical developer type person. They just look like big, ugly old databases a lot of the time. A lot of them are, are iterating out and getting a lot better, I know. But at the end of the day, they're, they're not that nice a user experience for... Um, for the studio owners on on the back end and the parents on the the other end a lot of the time. Yeah, and I even think, you know, one thing I tell people is we're no longer competing against the people who do the same thing as us in our community. We're competing against Amazon, who has set the expectation that I can get something in two days or even two hours, right? I told the example at the Ready, Set, Dance conference that my adapter failed me at my two-day conference here uh, back home. And I literally, by courier, had a new adapter ordered off Amazon and delivered in two hours. Like, bro came by on his bike and was like, are you Austin? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, here's your package. And then just literally drives off. And I'm like, how could you compete with that user experience? Right? It's got to be good. It's got to be refined. It's got to be a well-oiled machine that doesn't look like a well-oiled machine. (laughs) It's got to be pretty to look at. Exactly. And that's what, yeah, a a lot of... Yeah, we can spend, because yeah, sometimes you sit there and think like, how can people compare us to Amazon? They're a multi-billion dollar, but at the end of the day, it's the comparison they're going to make. So we can sit there and fight against it, or we can do what we can to try and go along, go along for the ride. Yeah, and that's the one thing we can't change is that these big corporations will will train people how to think and buy and consumer behavior will change. And even like right now, right, the next generation of buyers um, it are, are people like me who are 32 um, to probably 45, and they do care about different things than the segment before them. So things to consider as L- we wrap up. Lots of things to consider. Well, that's pretty much got us to the end of the podcast for today. Um, thank you so much for, like I said at the start, being our first international guest, Austin. Where can wow. people find out about you and ClassKit? Well, first, I think the title of international guest is a, is a bit um, too, too much for me, but I appreciate that, Nathan. And yeah, just classkid.com. If you are interested in helping us kind of gear up for our launch and join the pilot program um, in Australia specifically, then you can, you can book a demo and we can talk more about that. If you're listening in from the States, United Kingdom or Canada, we are already live there. We'd love to chat so you can book a demo. There's just a, a button that says... Uniquely enough, book demo. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> On classkid.com. So we'd, we'd love to connect. 
Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Austin. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, like we always say, if you've enjoyed today's show, we'd love you to give it the big like and subscribe to the podcast. It just helps other amazing dance studio owners find it and get benefit from the podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. We hope you have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. Thanks, Austin. Thank you. Take care.